this song actually went through multiple drafts initially. And I think that, you know, in, with historical context, it is really ironic how Hamilton was obsessed with his public perception only for it, only for him to basically ruin whatever validity, you know, whatever validity he had during that time in his own era. Oh. Yeah, sounds like Kanye. Ooh, man, yeah. All right, if we're talking about comedians, like Dave Chappelle has really kind of done a number to his own reputation. Mm. How so? Uh, you, you've heard about the recent Chappelle, you know, um, controversies? Uh, remind me, I probably have, but I feel like you're talking about something different. No, I'm talking about like his, uh, you know, his, his um, comments against trans people in, in some of his more recent uh, specials. Oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, that's what I meant. It's like Chappelle, I've watched a video essay about him. How we used to, you know, how the way he worded it caused him to stay out of uh, controversy for so long. And that he was the one community could get away with saying crazy stuff. But this this whole thing with trans people and the transphobia behind it is really kind of, it's basically, again, like Hamilton says, it's minimizing Dave's legacy to just that. I feel like once it's all said and done, he's going to be reduced to just that one black comedian who really had a thing against trans people. And I think that's just, it, she should be more than that, you know? Uh, he'll definitely be more than that. <laughs> it's like people who say that are just not fans of Dave Chappelle. I, I mean, I am. I'm a fan of Dave, but I'm just saying his the legacy is going to get muddied. Well, well, legacy only matters when the person's gone and you can reflect. And this is, um, well, we'll get into that too, but this is um, Blow Us All Away, which again, this is the bullet. Again, the bullet who is who represents death. She pops up every time death is about to happen. 
And this whole thing is reintroducing Philip in the same way that Hamilton was introduced in the beginning of the play in my shot. And his whole thing is that he wants to challenge this guy who basically insulted his dad and he demands compensation. And this really shows how Hamilton's negative traits have completely rubbed off on his son and how everything he idolized about his dad is the thing that ends up getting him killed. And right. the whole thing about him never being able to count up to 10 when that and when they were talking about taking a break, that comes through here because he doesn't reach to 10. He dies bef like before they even reach 8. And this is the stay of well, the stay alive reprise from earlier before when Washington was talking about the war. It's taking on a darker meaning. Mm. And just like the, the song says, he doesn't stay alive. He doesn't reach that 10 when he was counting with his mom. <clears throat> How unfortunate. The sins of the father trope are real. This whole thing sequence, though, is like directly very Les Mis inspired. See, you know, he never reaches 10. He dies 
shortly before he hits it. Hmm. I think, unironically, Philip Asu, I think, lost one of her parents before um, this production went on. <clears throat> oh, and this is, it's quiet uptown. Where Hamilton, at this point, is a shell of himself. And although it may not be hard to tell, at this point, I think Hamilton at this point is supposed to be in his 40s. So a lot of timeline jumping is happening. <clears throat> and uh, historically, Hamilton had a sister. I mean, not a sister. Hamilton had a, a kid um, who was named after Angelica. And after the death of Philip Hamilton in real life, she just kind of had a mental breakdown and was never able to kind of revert past mentally past the age of a um, six-year-old. And she kind of just remained delusional ever since, the, you know, after her brother died. What's this song called again? Um, it's Quiet Uptown. No, that's way off of what I wrote down. <laughs> and in, it's a reference. This is actually a reference to take a break where Eliza is encouraging Hamilton to take a break and spend time with his family. But here it's Eli it's Hamilton encouraging Elijah, you know, Eliza to come out, be with him and apologizing, you know, for all of his misdeeds because she hasn't forgiven him, but near the end of the song, she does forgive him. Yeah, at this point, Hamilton has basically lost everything, mostly everything. He he's not in, he does he has no position in you know Congress anymore. He's been basically turned into a laughingstock. He's lost his son. He only has one thing left to lose now, and that's his life. Right. <laughs>
And this is the election of 1800. And this is the nail in the coffin in terms of Hamilton and Burr's relationship. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's been going by. Probably not for you, Colin, but this has been going by pretty fast for me um, From uh, in terms of uh, time-wise. Uh, it's like, boy, it's like I'm sitting here. I'm like, man, I'm just reliving everything. I just got done listening to... Um, some of the soundtrack uh, last night while I was writing some of these um, notes. It's interesting. Yeah, it's all about perspective because this is going pretty slow for me. Um, But then again, like I said, I think that's just because you're not really used to like these sort of things, like these musicals, because Hamilton, the way Hamilton is structured is the way like 99.8% of the musicals are structured. Cause this is basically just how Les Mis is. It's operatic, which is sung all the way through and rapid pace with not much spoken dialogue. <clears throat> and we see that Burr is going full Hamilton mode, trying to go for something and not, and take a definite stance. Yep, and this is basically where Burr tells Hamilton that his new perspective came from Hamilton's own behavior. He influenced him. They unknowingly influenced each other. That's how people work.
And this is the thing that builds up to the crescendo. After everything, after Burr has reflected on everything, he sees that Hamilton has, in his mind, robbed him of every opportunity he's gotten. And at this point, he demands compensation. And this was the last straw for him. And the Ten Dual Commandments theme uh, theme comes back again. And you see the bullet constantly, you probably can't see because it's dark, but the bullet is dancing around here again, just delivering the letter to each other, really signifying that death is about to creep into the show again. And unironically, Hamilton goes against his own advice that he told Philip by, you know, just walking into a duel just like that.
Again, the Ten Dual Commandments again makes its final reappearance. Almost in the exact same way as it did before. Could have fooled me. <clears throat> yeah, like I said before, the theme of this, of the Ten Dual Commandments, That's because it's a very rigid structure and it represents murder. It's very upbeat, but that kind of hides what it really is, which is murder. And again, it's fine, Carlin. It's, it's, I'm not expecting you to pick up on light motifs and stuff. You know, that's, uh, that's just me kind of being geeking out about the little theatrical elements of the play. No, of course. Please geek out. That's what. Yeah. And um, that's what I like, though. That's kind of what I like, you know, light motifs are used a lot in theater to represent something. So if you can't keep up with something, when you keep hearing the repetition of a light motif, you start to associate it with a certain thing. And it's like, oh, this thing represents that thing. And this thing represents this thing. That's what, and Stephen Songheim was the one who popularized that idea, the idea of the re reoccurring light motif or melody. And this is where we start to see everything come back. Hamilton begins to reflect on everything that's happened. And this is where he throws away his shots. This is a soliloquy before his death. Where he starts to remember how will he be remembered? Everything that he's done until now, his legacy, what does it mean? Was it worth it? And this is where every light motif that's been built up comes back. You know, recontextualizing everything that's been happening. It's literally like Hamilton's life is flashing before his very eyes, metaphorically speaking. And she outlives him by like 60 years, too, in real life. She ever get remarried? No, no, she didn't. She didn't remarry. She basically spent like, the as Hamilton wanted, she spent basically the rest of her life kind of chronicalizing his works and kind of memorializing him. She's really the only reason, like we're talking about, we're watching this play today. It's because of her recollecting everything and that's what this play is none of this play is happening in real time this is all a recollection of hamilton through the people that eliza talked to and this is what the introduction play was hinting at this is just a recollection of hamilton from the people who knew him the man himself is technically already dead in the play anyways And this is when Burr realizes that the world was wide enough for Hamilton and him. There was no reason to kill him off. Burr reacted just based on a whim. And because of that, he'd made a choice that is basically going to be what he's known for forever. And this is what he's talking about. And what I talked about Chappelle, 
history doesn't care about all your feats. History doesn't care what you did or that. If you do one thing that is seen as quote unquote, you know, damning, which is what he did, killed Hamilton, it's all you become known for. No one cares why you did it or what the reason was. It is what it is. And it's funny because that's all I really learned about Burr when I was in school is that he was the man who killed their, uh, Hamilton. History minimizes whatever you do. No one cares how complex you are, who you were. And yeah, this varies from person to person, but that's just kind of how it is. It's just largely subjective. Your mileage may vary. But Hamilton and Burr learns this lesson. Well, Burr learns this lesson way too late. He should have waited for it. And this is the final song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. Where Washington, or his ghost anyways, reiterates his advice. <laughs> his ghost. <laughs> yeah, because that's basically what it is. Washington's dead at this point, historically. I guess that's why he's wearing white. Yeah, it's the finale. And this is just a recollection of Hamilton from various people, which is basically just confirming what I just said, how these are just people remembering the man, giving their own different perspectives on Hamilton. There are people who hated the guy, people who were neutral on him, and people who loved him, like it is with anybody. And Burr asks, when you're gone, who remembers your name? Like, what happens? Who carries you on? And then that's when Eliza comes out, which basically vindicates Eliza earlier, where she said, your family is your legacy. And she was right, because without Eliza, Hamilton would have been completely lost to history. She's basically the one who's been telling the story the entire time. She's alive. And then she passes on soon afterwards. I remember in the play, Darby kind of asked you, like, uh, what your interpretation of this scene was, I remember. Um, near the ending of the play. And, uh, well, the awkward thing is that there actually isn't a definitive answer to that, of what this scene, the ending scene means. Mm, yeah, don't ask me now. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, Oh, I, I'm not. I'm just saying there, there's actually a definitive answer. Like, well, the when it comes, I'll, I'll say it. Yeah, she opens up the Scott, the Skylar Orphanage. It's still actually, um, it's still in New York to this day.
Man. Yeah, this this thing gets me every time, man. Mm. <clears throat> oh man. And scene. <laughs> I thought of I thought of a really funny smart guy episode that really sums up how I feel about this movie. <laughs> oh, smart guy with uh what uh T and Tamara's brother? Yeah, the the T, the Disney show that you can actually watch on Disney Plus. It's like a five second clip, like a five second scene mm-hmm. with um the character Mo Tibbs that completely summed up some sums this entire uh, play up for me. Mm. I'll have to I have to get the clip and share it to Darby. Maybe she'll find it funny. Uh, oh, actually, I don't know if she's seen Smart Guy. Um. Uh, yeah, I've seen Smart Guy. Um. What is it? I mean, it's, I'm not, the clip. I mean. It's um I can't remember the episode, but it was like <laughs> it was mo they're in class watching whatever animal documentary, and it was like a, a two lions like fighting each other for the for the female. Yeah, and literally the documentary ends, and Mo is just asleep. And the moment the lights turn on, he wakes up and he starts clapping. He's like, "Yeah, the Lion King classic." <laughs> Well, I mean, let me tell you, you know, Carlin, like I said, you know, well, we can finally get into the discussion now because it's basically over. Um, But like I said, you know, your reaction to, you know, again, to theater, to Broadway, it's it's common. A lot of people do not care for Broadway. I have friends who don't like it. My best friend, Willie, he does not he does not he doesn't mess with musicals. He told me that uh, he said, man, I saw in the Heights. I said, how did he say me and my friends literally got together? got you know they got drunk and they started making fun of it they said take a shot every time something you know every time something happens and they basically were tore up after the benny and nina scene and they were laughing their asses off and that's how musical theater is seen by a lot of film goers and not even just movie uh not even just uh that like theater actors in general from what i've heard from some of uh, from willie who it, he does work he's an actor Theater actors do not have the best relate the best reputation in Hollywood, from what I've heard, because of the way they come off whenever like they have to record with other people. They have this aura about them, which makes them seem and I understand that because I know some theater kids like this, where they come off as very uppity or bigoty and think that they are more than what they are, mm-hmm. despite not really think obviously theater acting and stage acting are completely different things. And that does not translate well whenever a theater actor typically tries to break out into actual film acting. Mm. So, yeah. And um, that is. uh, And uh, well, that is that I snap. I paused it. But yeah, that's basically it. It's over. So um, and this this is my shot remix by the roots. And Black Thought. And Busta Rhymes. Yeah, I just watched Black Dot, and um, 
the deuce this hbo series that i'm going to do a video for for my channel yeah he was one of the producers of this like one of the creators along with quest love do you know who that is oh yeah of course yeah he lin manuel and um black thought created this or oh, they were the minds behind this show I interesting just got, i just got done watching summer of soul too i don't know if you saw that mm. interesting so i think i've I want to say I reached the conclusion that I don't hate musicals. I would like to believe I like musicals, but it's just a certain kind because I can name a, I can name musicals that I like. And then I recently just watched, um, cause obviously my channel is based on the last starfighter. I yeah. just found out that they made a musical that I had no idea about. And I listened to it and I feel like I can listen to that all day. Well, the thing is, is that like, like I said, Carlin, I would agree, but the issue is, is that, like I said, in your initial, in your initial Hamilton review and in our conversations, and also in your uncomfortable review, all of your critiques were not actually about Hamilton. They were kind of like backhanded critiques of Broadway. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But that's my thing. And this is from talking with you because I've talked with you extensively. And even looking at the comments that you've said in the, you know, in the, you know, two other people when they correct you and you're like, yeah, I can, I can see what you're saying. The issue is, is that with Hamilton and I, again, I'm trying to preference to the audience and the Carlin here. This thing was not made to turn Hamilton into some to make Carlin into a Hamilton stand. It's perfectly fine if people don't like this play. I am perfectly cool with that. But what kind of fired me up here, and I'm going to get personal here, you know, to get into the nitty gritty, mm -hmm. is that I felt like in that first in that first review, I kind of felt like Carlin, because again, Carlin is not a theater guy. He's not in Broadway, and that's fine. But I felt like, and even in our DMs in Discord, Carlin's like, look, I'm a guy who watches movies, and I just kind of, you know, I call it, I just kind of call it as I see it. I talk about my perception of that. And we kind of went on that back and forth when I bought the whole Bugs Bunny thing. And my thing is that is fine. But my issue is that what I felt like the big problem and even the audience brought in, the, in that comment section agrees. I felt like because the everything about Hamilton kind of went over your head in that first review and maybe even sort of this one as well. Absolutely. So, so what you were left with was just, okay, so the play themes, they went over our head. Okay, but what's what we're left with is the aesthetic. And you kind of kept critiquing the aesthetic. But the issue is, is that you're not really critiquing Hamilton. You're critiquing Broadway, the Broadway aesthetic. Because the Hamilton aesthetic is just a Broadway aesthetic. And it shows that with tons of other shows like Les Mis. Mm -hmm. And my big issue is, is that you were basically what I like to call ixa despot, which is you were using fallacies. The idea was you were kind of dogmatically asserting yourself about something that you don't really know about. You're kind of spitballing here and you like you invited Darby, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Darby never really did. All she really did was kind of just reaffirm your spitballing despite being the theater person in the room which was really awkward it didn't really create a conversation and it felt like a awkward one-sided conversation between two like-minded people even though Gar darby from the reactions i saw because i saw i said that i watched that whole video she clearly cares about this play mm -hmm. and 
you know, I know she said she kind of joked about it being manipulating, but you can only allow you can only be manipulated by something if you allow it to. Right. And I felt like and again, no offense to Darby. I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I felt like near the two hour mark where we are, Darby went full white guilt mode and kind of just started agreeing with everything you're saying. I'm like, whoa, like it's literally the Hamilton and Burr dynamic playing out. You have Carlin making kind of, you know, talking, you know, kind of talking out of his ass, so to speak, just saying, kind of just kind of making spitballing, saying how, trying to articulate how you feel, <clears throat> Darby, mm-hmm. instead of correcting that is just like, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I'm like, dude, no, <laughs> that the issue is, is that Carlin, I respect that. When I don't know something about, when I don't know anything, because I'm not, I'm not a film person. Obviously, I can't tell you what's a good shot of a film. I can give you my opinion, but it's probably mm-hmm. going to be wrong. Like when you were talking about the shots in, in the un, currently unaired in the Heights video, you felt like what they were going for was eh, and they they should have went full Bollywood. And I can attest to that. You know, I can agree with that. I can't really argue with you on that front because I'm not a music person, but I kind of felt like you know. Carlin, in that first review, even though you didn't know much about Broadway, about Lynn, about Hamilton, which, okay, is fine, but I feel like when you made arguments against it, you were kind of arguing in the name of ignorance, kind of like a fallacy, kind of dissing out all this stuff without really having any evidence or ground to kind of stand on, and you weren't really being challenged, and Darby's just agreeing with you, and I felt like as a black person, you know, who has been in theater for most of his life and mm-hmm. obviously now in Japan, I felt like I could add a different perspective into what, into why this play, you know, means something to me and kind of what is going on here. And one of the things you kind of bought up and maybe one, one of the things that you kind of felt sideways about was when I bought up the idea of, cause I know when Darby bought it up originally, she's like, uh, you, um, I didn't watch. I didn't go back and watch the video, but it was the part where you talked about what type of, you know, you kind of question her. What type of music is this? You know, it doesn't sound like the rap that I grew up listening to. Stuff like that. And she said, "Oh, it's kind of different." And I'm like, "Well, here's the thing. Like, yeah, these are show tunes, and it's convoluted to say that." But before I go ahead on this big spiel, you know, mm-hmm. is there anything that you want to say, Carlin? Like anything you want to question me about now that the film is over or anything that you bought up? Because you took notes yourself. So I don't want to just kind of blow my load before you have a chance to ask or question me about something. Because, you know, since I'm the guest, if anything you want to ask me as the host based on your notes or anything. Yeah, I have no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think from the start of it, I would say probably like right when that second act happened, mm-hmm. I was already disconnected from it again. <laughs> like I was from my first watching. And I think from my first watching, I think I was watching it more, but just being more alert of the things that were triggering me throughout. But in the second watching, I think I, I came to a point. I was like, eh, who cares? <laughs> Like, who who cares how I, well, more or less, I was going to say, like, who cares how I feel about it? I mean, it's just, just, this is just how the play is. 
Yeah, that's, you know, like I said, you know, the thing about your first play is that my big issue, and I think a lot of people's issues, is that you were using a lot of fallacies. And the issue with fallacies is that they're essentially trying to push something as like very objective. And the issue is, is that there's not really any, your the issue, like again, when you critique something or when I would make a review on something, the review has to be based on at least something, have a basis. But the issue is that because everything about Hamilton has gone over your head, at that point, it's like you're kind of just shadow boxing with the play. You don't know what you're hitting, but you're really just hitting Broadway. And you say you like theater, but like I said, Carlin, just based on our interactions, just based on what you're saying, I feel like I can really understand your arguments better than you may be able to articulate. Because I get what you're saying. I can tell you what you're trying to say. But the issue is, is that based on our conversations within DMs, I feel like I get what you're saying, but I feel like you don't really understand the implications of what you're actually saying. Because in your review with Darby and in our conversations, what you're kind of doing is I asked you, hey, you know, how does, because I questioned you, said, okay, my thing is, you said it doesn't matter how, what type of style the music is, is. well, it does matter, you know, the, it's, it's show tunes, but you're like, what matters is that it feels culture, uh, culture vulture-ish, that's not a word, but hey, guys, work with me here, um, and I kind of pressed you on that, right, mm-hmm. you know, you remember that, and you said, you know, you said this feels very culture vulture and I'm like, well, Garland, you know, how does it feel culture vulture-ish? Because are, are you going to respond to that? Or are you going to elaborate on that? Or do you want me to, like, go ahead on what I was about to say? Uh, as of now, maybe I had more of a problem with, well, I don't know, maybe I still have a problem with this play, but maybe more of a problem with how this theater, or excuse me, how this wow. production was uh, marketed. Because I remember when my mom told me, the first time when this whole Hamilton thing came up on like Disney Plus or whatever, mm-hmm. she's like, "Hey, you should watch. You should watch this play. It's called Hamilton. It's like a mixture of hip hop and R and B." And I'm like, eh, all, right, "All right." And then when I got around to actually watching it with Darby, I just felt like it's 100 percent the opposite of that. And again, maybe that's not the Lin Manuel's fault or the play itself's fault because it's just doing what's in that culture of theater Broadway Broadway yeah, oh, yeah. well technically this is technically your th- this is your technically third and a half time watching because you watched it with your friends before Darby uh briefly for 10 minutes no I watched it with Darby first and then oh, I've but we took yeah. we took a delay and then I watched 10 minutes with my friends to see how they and, felt about it and you know, like I said, the thing is, Carlin, I don't think you really care for Broadway. And I can tell I can tell that. And that's cool. There is nothing wrong with that to Carlin or anybody who may not be for this, who may not be for musicals. I know I understand musicals are not for everybody. It is an acquired taste. But what I am saying is, is that, you know, Broadway and I'm going to get into this, you know, in your thing, you know, you kind of felt like, um, because, again, it goes back to the Broadway critique. But my thing is, is that, like, what you were describing is not like what a culture vulture is in mm. our discussion. Elvis, which I'm sure you can tell, Elvis is the culture vulture. Elvis is a dude 
who basically appropriated rock and roll from black people and then tried to claim that he was the king of it. All those 1950s and 40s <laughs> white musicians were culture vultures. Yeah, and that's my thing. But the thing is, is that it's a person essentially taking from another culture and claiming it as their own. Ray Charles even called him out on that. That A clip of that went viral on Twitter recently. But the thing is, is that Hamilton in itself, and I want to get to my point because it connects to another point, is that Hamilton... It's created by people of the culture. This isn't by a bunch of white execs saying, hmm, you know what? You know what would be really cool? Let's put some of this and that in there and see how this sells. Because the issue is, is that at the time that this came out on Broadway, Hamilton was considered kryptonite because it wasn't like every other musical that was out. And I know Mm -hmm. what it is because we talk about musicals, but the point is, is that when Hamilton came out, Everyone was trying to be Stephen Songheim. Stephen Songheim is a guy who West Side Story, wrote West Side Story and Company, or Andrew Lloyd Webber, Phantom of the Opera, Sweetie Todd, all these guys. Everybody was trying to, you know, be them and recreate them, or they were making uh, jukebox musicals. And if you don't know what that is, for those who don't know, a jukebox musical is basically where you take music from an established medium, like an artist, and you turn it into a Broadway play. But the, my issue with jukebox musicals is that they don't really work because it's the songs influencing everything. And that makes everything really, really wonky, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't make sense because there was a some of the people who made this. There was a Tupac Sakur musical called Holler, If You Hear Me, which was based off of some plays that Tupac you know, made and his song, but I'm like, those are, those songs are fine on their own. But when you try to set them to a story, it feels really, really wonky. And some of the people who were in Hamilton, like Chris Jackson and even uh, Chadwick Baldwin, they were in that and there are plays of it. And I'm like, it doesn't work, at least in my opinion, because it's like, it's the songs, but you're trying to set the music to base the, the, the songs, you know, from Tupac, into a story and it feels so disconnected everyone was doing that jukebox musicals or these predominantly all white you know these predominantly you know very white centric musicals and hamilton's creation much like in the heights was essentially made to be a rebuttal against all of that because for one thing it casted people of color in predominantly central roles and to kind of Mm -hmm. move away from that you know, talking about a conversation that we had in, um, in the Heights, you know, you said, you know, well, I think my issue here is that, because um, this is what you're saying, the issue why you felt it was culture vulturous is because you felt like Lin-Manuel, you know, put that Broadway as a classist medium, and he kind of put this on Broadway, kind of implying, you know, well, this is in your critique, it's kind of like, you use the no true Scotsman's fallacy. And you're familiar with what that is? No. The no true Scotsman's fallacy basically is when you make monolithic statements about a group of people. It's almost like that old Chris Rock sketch where he's like, hey, black people do this and white people do that. It's it's that, it's that, it's that. I kind of felt like in your critiques, what you're kind of doing is kind of like when you say, you know, what black person would give a shit, for example, about, say, the founding fathers or this right. and that? Well, clearly some do. Otherwise, this play wouldn't exist. All the people who are behind Hamilton are of the culture. Lin-Manuel is Afro-Latino. His, you know, black thought and quest love are black. You have all these other black, you know, 
performers who assisted in the show's creation. Clearly they do. I don't I don't agree with these guys, but the Candace Owens of the world most certainly do. Like, I feel like we as black people are always so quick to kind of place all of ourselves, you know, make these monolithic statements about each other. But that's that's not true. We try to say what's black and what isn't black and black, just like with white or Asian or anything can be many different things. Not everyone Mm -hmm. you know, shares the same opinion, like even you and I. I know you don't care for theater. You are a film guy and you love Starfighter. I've never seen Starfighter. But I am a huge, you know, I'm a huge theater guy. I have been in the industry, you know, I have been in the industry. I was there from the beginning and I had to work my ass off um, just to kind of make my name. I used to be a shy kid, but we're very, very different people. And when I was younger, because of the way I talk and my interest, people would accuse me of being like an Uncle Tom just because, you know, the way I talk. Like, why are you talking like that? You know, why are you trying to be so what? I'm like. At the time, I'm like, well, I didn't know what to really say because I'm like, what do you mean? This is how I always talk. But as I got older, I kind of realized the unfortunate implications of what people were saying. Mm-hmm. It's that they were associating blackness with talking a certain kind of way. You have to be like this. You have to do like that. You don't really fit what we perceive as being black. But what you're really saying is, even unintentionally, those people is that black people can't be well-clad. Black people can't be well-spoken. If you don't talk like this, you're trying to be white. But I'm like, motherfucker, <laughs> excuse my French, motherfucker, who said this is a white thing? Why are we adding like these labels on what is white and what is black? Just like the same way we had these people who were trying to apply labels on what's masculine and what's feminine. And I got, my sister and I have both been hip with that over the years. Right. I feel like- we as black people, I'm going to say this we as black people love to call out the shit that white people do, and rightfully so. But I feel like we turn around and we do that shit to ourselves. And we don't see it, and no one calls it out because we're in the BLM era where, again, you know, it is, we don't like to draw attention to issues within our community, but I'm like, we do that. We do this to ourselves. We turn around and we do this to ourselves. Like, you know, your critiques about Hamilton, which is fine. Like I said, I'm not saying you can't dislike it. That is perfectly fine. I have people who do not like Hamilton. They say, I can tell you why. A, I'm not a fan of musicals. B, this, this, and this, and this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. But I feel like, you know, in your first review, Carlin, your critiques kind of came off kind of similar. I don't know if you've seen the Disney movie Turning Red. <laughs> Uh, that's on my list to watch for the podcast. Yeah. Well, there was a white guy who basically made a review of Turning Red where he basically said he didn't understand it or like he kind of asked, who is this for? It's like, like this is, you know, he basically went on this tangent, this ignorant ass tangent about what, who the musical, oh, this isn't for me. Like, oh, this is about an Asian girl in the town. I'm like, first of all, Again, it is fine to not be a fan of a film. I have Scott Freilis, mm-hmm. my friend. He's not a fan of that. But at the same time, like, don't go pulling arguments out of your ass and making and making up all these things about how this, it's this, this, and this just because you weren't fancy to it. Just because you may not like it does not mean that there are people out there who don't. And I feel like we oh, as yeah, black of course. I feel like we as black people, I mean, again, I've just seen it. 
We call that shit out, but then we turn it around and do it to ourselves. And then we wonder why things don't get better. I've been hit by that. And mm -hmm. I think one of the things that you told me is that, you know, hey, you know, what you were saying is, is that Broadway is a classist medium. Like if this, how is this for minorities? You know, if this is, if Broadway is a classist medium, but what you're applying there, Carlin, in our DMs is that it's almost as if, you know, black people, and you, I know you didn't mean this, but this is the unfortunate implication, just like those people who kind of called me out for talking a certain kind of way, you're implying that minorities or black people are kind of too low down and maybe sorry to go and see these shows. And that's not true. I was a part of a black posse. Like it was me, my friend Jay, you know, I had um, my friend, um, you know, it was me, my friend Jay, I had Chuck. We were basically a bunch of like multiracial kids. I was black, Asian, you know, black, black kids, Asian kids. We would go around and we would see theater, well, all these different Broadway shows. We would see Next to Normal. We would go and see Rent. We would go and see Tick, Tick, Boom. We would go and see all this stuff. And we would go there. Yeah, there would be white people there, but we would also see other people of color there just enjoying it. It's not that uncommon. And I also feel like, again, the price of admission, like, does not somehow, like, again, invalidate, like, a work's cultural merit let alone or it's like cultural background because i know i have been to some pricey ass concerts to see some of my favorite black performers sometimes paying hundreds to almost thousands of dollars depending on who's with me you know with all the traveling and gas just to go and see these people like to go and see outcast performing which is rare they don't usually do concerts but to go and see them or to go and see something like you know a tribe called quest you know, um, when they were performing for SNL, it's like I had to, you know, I had to pay an arm and a leg to go and see them. But I wouldn't dare argue that these guys are sellouts or so and so just because they I have to go pay to see them. It doesn't somehow invalidate, you know, their ethnic background or their merit. And kind of expanding on that point, even disregarding all of that, what made Hamilton special is that. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm almost done with my speech, but what made Hamilton special is the fact that <laughs> take your time. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting passionate here. But, you know, again, just having this conversation. But what made Hamilton special is that it was free. You could listen to the soundtrack and never have to go see the play. You don't have to pay like $79 or $175 to go and see Hamilton. The play. The soundtrack, because the play is sung all the way through, you can listen to it on YouTube for free. And it's been that way since it's been on Broadway. That's how I discovered. I'm like, wow, I really like this. I like the story. I like the motif. And if it weren't for Hamilton taking that approach, Hamilton would, know, would not be anywhere near as popular as it is now. There are other shows on Broadway that are fairly popular, but like you wouldn't hear about them because, again, they're kind of bogarted. Because you would have to go pay to go see them. There's not cast albums. But like, again, with Hamilton, they really tried to make sure people knew about this. They put the soundtrack for free. Lynn, Black Thought, and Questlove actually toured the show around to different schools to perform it for kids for free, free of charge. And they would like create these special raffles where these schools could win and uh, go see the play for free. So it's like... 
the idea that Broadway is this, you know, very white medium is not only kind of a disingenuous critique, but it's not true. African-Americans basically made, they shaped the modern day Broadway scene. Whether people want to, well, people have admitted it. Of course. You can say that with almost any media. The black man is the most copy man in America. Yeah, but that's the thing. But even here, you know, what made, you know, what what I'm talking about show tunes, like you said, well, this is rap, you know, it doesn't sound like contemporary rap. And I understand that. I have been told that by some of my friends. People don't really like, they can't put their finger on it, but they're like, I do not like the way some these musicals sound. They have this certain thing and it turns me off. And I get it. But the reason why Broadway, because I looked up alternative rock when we were listening to Hamilton, alternative rock is or alternative music is just music that doesn't quote unquote fit into a category of, mm-hmm. of their own exactly. show, tunes, show tunes are not like that show tunes do fit into their own category they're called show tunes but the thing that makes show tunes weird that compared to every other medium is that they do have their own sets of rules they have these orchestras they have these certain things like the i want songs or these musical motifs these are what make a musical a musical. You won't really, you may be able to find a motif like in uh, Slick Rick was pretty good at using motifs, you know, when he told, when he, you know, when he used his storytelling, but you don't find all this stuff anywhere. And the reason why show tunes are called show tunes is because it's like multiple different genres of music merged together. And it's like that because Broadway, I think, or show tunes are the only it's the only medium where it uses musical vernacular you basically have like for example broadway has its roots in opera everything that we know about broadway originates from the opera like when hamilton is rapping what hamilton is doing he's using a patter song patter songs are like these really fast-paced songs that have a rhythmic flow like for example, for people who don't know, like, for example, in The Music Man, and the song You Got Trouble is a patter song. It's a fast-paced song mm-hmm. that is, like, it rhymes. It consistently rhymes. And we know, obviously, hip-hop isn't just all about rhyming, you know, what you can. But mm-hmm. in patters, that's what you do. And it's the way that Lynn used that to kind of get hip-hop across in theater because it's based on this established medium. Like, here's an example. Like, in the song, you got trouble. There's a part where it says, I'm thinking about the kids in the knickerbocker, short tail young ones picking the smoke shop. Wonder about the school. Hey, look, folks, you got trouble right here in River City. You know, that's one of the parts when you got trouble. That's a patter song. Or I am the very model of a modern major general. Like, that's another one by Gilbert and Sullivan. That's like mm-hmm. examples. They're these fast paced songs, and they do that a lot in Hamilton. I'm sure you notice mm-hmm. where they have these fast paced, rhythmic flows. But, like, again, it, you know, Broadway originated from opera. So a lot of Broadway shows are very operatic. Like Sweetie Todd is very Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. It comes from that. And then you have other genres that get added to it, like folk, which started off in the Shakespearean era. But what made Broadway what it is today is that in the 1920s, Black creators and performers added jazz into the scene. And it changed Broadway forever because every single broadway musical you can think of it's either like created like the numbers are created like jazz numbers or they use jazz as a motif like west side story has jazz all that jazz it's in the name you know 
you have jazz and all these other aspects that these black creators introduced into Broadway. And jazz, despite being demonized, was the popular musical of from like it was the popular music genre from the 1920s to 1950s it defined american music so duke ellington lewis armstrong i don't have to tell you carl and i'm sure you know jazz was basically the medium and because musicals evolve with the musical vernacular it was integrated and it still is into musicals then in the 60s rock became big so andrew lloyd webber you know, Lord Bornstein, they put rock into musical theater. And the issue is, is that whenever something, a new genre gets added into musical theater, and this is convoluted, but this is how it is, it becomes a pillar. And once something in a show tune becomes a pillar, it becomes something that you have to adhere to, whether you mean to or not. And you see people going to see Jesus Christ Super, like, wow, so this is what rock is. I want to make something just like that. So these creators, they get, they come and they make their own, you know, musicals based off of what they see. And inadvertently, even though they don't know it, they're utilizing these other genres of music. They're utilizing, they're using the jazz that the, that the black creators put into musicals in the 1920s. They're using the rock and what essentially, and it keeps on going on and on. And that's what makes musical theater so different compared to every other genre. It has its own motifs and things that it makes it a genre, but like you can't can't you can't compare something like again Kendrick Lamar. You know, really love that guy. I don't know you, you like Kendrick Lamar, I'm sure, right, Carlin? Yeah, um, I do. Yeah, um, his new album just came out recently. But point is, have not listened to it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan. Um, anyways, the point is is that. What makes show tunes different is that it's essentially all these styles merged together into one. So whenever it's rock, it's not just pure, authentic Led Zeppelin rock. It's rock mixed with opera, rock mixed with folk, rock mixed with all these other pillars that have been added into musical theater. And it gives it a, like I said, it's the hyena and dog vernacular or, uh, you know, hyena and dog dichotomy. Mm-hmm. It sounds vaguely similar to it, but not quite exactly. And I noticed that's what you were basically saying, not only in this, you know, in our in the Heights thing, but also in your Darby thing. And that's why. And that's why something like Jesus Christ Superstar and Hamilton are more related to, again, Showboat or, you know, South Pacific or Rent or, you know, um, Oklahoma than they are to say, uh again young thug and uh aerosmith because it's all it's all these genres blended together to form a unified sound and what made hamilton so special is that it merged all this stuff together it merged the different eras of theater together the classic era that's a very operatic you know and Mm. jazz it you know then you have stephen songheim he made west side story and stuff like that company Songheim was known for his lyricism. Hamilton utilizes the lyricism. I know the lyrics go over your head, but each character's lyrics have meaning and take on a different tone depending on what, you know, the the song is. Like Satisfied, 
the satisfied was the song where the sister sings about man i wish i could be with hamilton but like i you know i would but i can't because i'm bound to my society okay that references you know her discontent with her life but then we have satisfied being used in the 10 dual commandments and it's referencing the relief or the vindication you get when you basically prove yourself by kind of shooting a person who insulted your you know who insulted your person it's all these different things like song time and then you have andrew lloyd weber you know who popularized you know light motifs you know how each character in hamilton represents a certain song and even if you know you don't understand what the character is about that thing keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and you're like oh so slowly but surely you start to associate the character with this thing and they do that so that way musicals don't have to keep recapping what they're saying you're like okay i hear this that's what that means and also they're operatic he popularized the whole song sing song musical where all his plays were sung all the way through and the right. reason they did, the reason they did that was because it makes it easier to kind of sell musicals that way because again, you can release like Hamilton did. You can, I listened to the, the soundtrack before I even got a chance to see the show and I got the same experience. I didn't feel like I was missing anything. So like my point is, is that I feel like it's weird that we try to code things a certain kind of way because Broadway, it's not white. Yeah, there are they tried to go and take over it, you know, for sure. But black people, you know, especially, you know, the jazz musicians of the 20s, they made Broadway what it is today. And as for why Lynn chose, you know, for, for first of all, it was a book he read. And the thing about like musicals is that the entire point of Hamilton being a rebuttal is that in West Side Story, I mean, I don't know if you saw the original West Side Story or not, Carlin, but um, like minutes of it. Yeah, but the quote-unquote Puerto Ricans in that were played us outside of Rita Moreno were played by white people in brown face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is that Hamilton was kind of a rebuttal against all of that. It not only put people of color in the center stage, and I've had debates, even beyond this, I've had debates about this with other people in my circles. It put them at the front center stage at a time when really – it was rare too because everyone was trying to just rehash the past. It wasn't trying to get with the times. Every person who has been a part of Hamilton has benefited from it in some way. And I do know another thing you talked about was the colorism aspect of Hamilton that you kind of felt. But my big issue with that is that that again only works if you know if you're arguing from a point of illiteracy, because the characters in Hamilton, their races and their skin tones are completely interchangeable. You can be in Hamilton. So you can anyone can be in Hamilton so long as they're not white. In fact, the current Hamilton on Broadway right now, he's an Aboriginal Australian. He's a black guy, really dark skin. And Aaron Burr is um played by a Chinese actor. The Skylar sisters are all played by these very, you know, these very beautiful dark skinned ladies and stuff like that. So like it's interchangeable and into your to con talk about your comment on minstrels, you know, minstrel shows or how it makes you feel uncomfortable. Hamilton does not have anything in common with minstrels. And I can say that as a person who has seen many minstrel shows, you know, who have researched them, you know, for my, you know, 
for my projects or for, you know, you know, because I'm a big animation fan. Some, for example, I don't know if you know this, but did you know that Mickey Mouse is based off of a minstrel performer? Um, no, but I would expect a lot of those old Disney uh, cartoons yeah. are based off of some pretty risque stuff. Yeah, that's why Mickey wears the gloves and his old face was white. That's that that was why he was based off of a minstrel performer. But the point is, is that the entire point of minstrel shows was ha 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 ain't black people stupid as hell is basically the point of it. And they had specific characters that they used to demonstrate that again. I'm, I'm going to use some problematic language here, but it is what it is. You know, to demonstrate my point, you had Jim Crow. Jim Crow was a lazy black man who essentially was a good for nothing. He didn't do anything and contribute to anything. You had Zip Coon. Zip Coon was a uppity black man who thought that he was more than what he was. And despite acting smart, whenever he opened his mouth, he was a complete dumbass. You had the Sapphire, the loudmouth nagging black woman. The, the, the loud mouth nagging black wife of the Jim Crow character. And the sad thing is that you still see this character today with how black women characters are women. But still, you have the Piccaninny, the little black faced little girls or little boys who were there to basically be weird and mischievous. You had the tragic mulatto, the mixed girl who doesn't know where she fits into society or into society and usually ends up dying for whatever the fuck. These are the characters that are appearing minstrels. And no matter which minstrel you're watching, they all they all do this. They all have served the same purpose. They're the joke. They're the characters you see. No one in Hamilton. Rep- there is no Jim Crow character in Hamilton. There's no Zip Coon. There's no, this stuff is played completely straight and it's supposed to be taken seriously. Now I can understand maybe being put off by the quote unquote corny performances of the actors, but speaking as a guy who's been in theater myself, that's theatrics. The reason the characters act like that, because if you come off on stage acting very stilted and nervous, people are going to notice that and you're going to lose the audience. And most likely people are going to blast you online or you're going to get a negative review on when, when the reviews come out. You are your weapon. Your body is basically the only tool you have. You don't have a POV shot from a camera in theater. You are the performance and you have to use every part of your body to kind of entice the audience on your side. Because if you lose the audience, the play goes downhill. And if you are a big part of the play, the whole play is screwed. And this is, I remember my first play. I botched. I botched the performance and people were clowning me and I'm like, damn. I, and that's how I learned, you know, my teacher, my teacher, Miss Gray, she taught me, you need to use your body. You need to understand every part of your body is a tool that you can use to improve your performance. If you aren't confident in yourself, why do you, the audience won't. And that's why the character, they act the way they do like that. Because again, it's a part of the performance. If this was a movie, I would completely agree with you, Carlin. It would not work because movies are supposed to be realistic. If you act like this in a movie, you're going to be called out for overacting or making something cartoonish. Of course. But in theater, the opposite is true because theater is like that weird medium 
between being somewhat realistic, but still set in fantasy. So that is another reason why it kind of puts off people. But you have to do that if you really want to sell your performance. And sometimes you're performing for hundreds of thousands of people in the fucking audience. The guy in the back, all the way at the back in the bleachers, has to know what you were doing. And if you're being really, really mid with your performance, no one's going to give a fuck about you. And on top of that, you're going to ruin the play and look bad. And I've been a part of, I've been, I've been both in and out of that seat multiple times, you know, throughout my career. And even when voice acting too. So like, like I said, I guess wrapping everything up, you know, is Hamilton for minorities? Yeah, because they are the only ones who have completely benefited from this. White people, you know, Darby, what I disagree with Darby with didn't get white people quote unquote white people you know i was in the in the, in the you know seeing this with my friends they didn't they didn't want this initially what they wanted was like okay no we want to go for the the music men the uh song of music these sort of things rap was something that was kind of seen as unproven in the heights isn't really all rap it's mainly just reggaeton and latin beats so when hip hop is used, it's not used as much as those other things. It's like a traditional musical. But Hamilton not only, you know, proved that this can work through the power of black creators, but, um, you know, emphasizing that, it really did open the door for so many people. Because now the Broadway shows that are out now, you have Americana, which is about you know, it's created by these left, you know, these left-leaning um his, you know, Mexican guys is about the struggle of being an immigrant in the United States, how the United States has turned its back on Mexican immigrants and really immigrants in general. You have Strange Loop, which is a show focused on what's a show created by a black guy, a gay black man talking about, you know, um, this hotel run by these queer black people, trans and non-binary. You have Six, a show which is about um, the wives of King Henry the Six. And they're all played by different actresses of color, similar to kind of what Hamilton did, you know, telling their own story in all female cast. You have um, what else? A lot of musicals out. You have uh, there are others. But my point is that all these shows are getting greenlit and are finding it easier and easier to get into Broadway now. And that's because of the doors that Hamilton broke open. So I'm like, hell, yeah. Like, fuck, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has helped people of color more so than anyone else. Ariana DeBose was the bullet, a minor role in Hamilton, and has not only won all these awards. And yeah, I know we can talk about the Oscars and how rigged they are. And yeah, I under I I do agree with that. But she is making gains. Leslie Odom Jr. is about. I don't know if you've seen the movie Knives Out, the first uh, one. No, that's also on my list to watch. Yeah. That that movie, um, he's going to be in the sequel of that. David Diggs, he kind of quit theater after this. He kind of said he kind of had his fill. He wanted to focus more on like his rap career and uh, music and movie career. But like he has had, he just won a Hugo Award. <laughs> All these people are like going places. And it's like Hamilton is like that starting point to getting into, you know, when you were a part of the show. You know, it takes you places and it's still breaking barriers. I mean, for fuck's sake, like Carlin, I know you're not the biggest channel, but look how many comments you have on that one video alone. Mm-hmm. And it's still growing. Um, it 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 changed the game. Now, I'm not saying that Hamilton should be the 
end all be all. Um, I don't know if you, you know, I don't know if you've seen that the '90s Cinderella movie with Brandy in it. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not saying stuff like Hamilton or Brandy should be the end all be all. You know, this is what representation is. You know, no, of course not. I'm not saying that it should be the. This is what we should always be because you always want to surpass your limit. But damn it, you know, speaking as a person of the culture seeing the people and talking to the people that it's influenced meeting you know seeing people like black thought quest love all these hip-hop artists come together and people don't have to care that these guys made it but what matters is that it's made by people of the culture it's not just made by white people trying to basically examine something from afar and write it down it's made by the people who are within it and seeing stuff like that and seeing it succeed when it was considered, yeah, it's easy to say uh, it was always going to be successful. People said that about The Lion King 1994. No, it wasn't. It very much could have failed because An- bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson failed, which was basically similar to Hamilton, but it had an entirely all-white cast and basically recast Andrew Jackson and his peers as a bunch of emo white kids. This play really did you know, change, you know, it changed the game. And really, I still listen to it. I find out new things about this play every single day, and it makes me love it more. That's why I love videos like your videos, Carlin. It allows me to reevaluate myself. And I thought Darby isn't coming with it. And I I'm, I'm I can understand why, but my point is I'm like, nah, you know, let's have this conversation. And through this, I think I found out why I feel strongly about your words. And why I feel strongly about this play, and it goes back to my childhood where I was told that I'm not of the culture because I'm this X, Y, Z and bullshit like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel the same way about this. So that is my soliloquy, y'all. I'm sorry I went in like that. I kind of got passionate there for a second. All good. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, the stuff I said in that rambling made sense to you, Carlin, because I, I went on a spiel there for a good 30 minutes, 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to change your perspective on any of this. I'm not saying you have to like Hamilton. What I am saying, though, is that I, you know, I do think most of your critiques, I just think you're not that big of a fan of Broadway and its style. And that's cool. You, you said in Kanto, you felt like it would have been better without the songs, and they should have just told the story organically. Right. You weren't really the biggest you felt, and I agree with you on this, thinking about it. You felt that the songs and In the Heights distracted from the story that was being told or actively fought against what the movie was trying to say. You know, it talks about how bad you said it talked about how bad Washington Heights is yet kind of showed the exact opposite, you know, through the the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that's my thing. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. Carl, it's perfectly fine to not like this play for X, Y, Z reasons. My only issue is just that, like I said, it's just using these fallacies and no true Scotsman's fallacy, putting labels on something of what's white, what's black. I'm just I just think I'm just kind of tired of we as a culture doing that to each other. But we turn around and like, you know, do it to ourselves. It's like. I won't go there. I was going to talk about I was going to get really political there for a second, but I'm saying the effects of white people are so ingrained within our culture that I feel like we do some stuff that we don't even realize 
is is that you know that we don't even realize is because of white is because of the white supremacy that our that black people have had to endure for such a long time absolutely and that's what i was gonna say you know i just feel like we do this shit to ourselves and it's because of culture is so eurocentric that it's become normalized within the black community and i think that's a fucking problem excuse me for for that you know for my french you're totally fine Uh, yeah that is my piece. That is my quote unquote rebuttal, my stance on this. It is a great play. And when you listen to it, you see the passion, you see the people behind the stage matches the intent. If Lynn Manuel wanted to make a quick and also, like I said, Lynn Manuel isn't trying to give charity to to, to, to other races or be involved and do all this stuff. Because to me, you don't need an excuse to make a diverse thing. It, you should want to. Why would you want to keep rehashing the same tired white tropes, same movies, these white white these white rom coms where the the white Julie Andrews or the the white actress has a black best friend who is clearly more interesting than her, but we focus on the love life of the white actress over what their friends are doing. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need if you don't need an excuse to be diverse you you just do it because to me in the words of the of the great tony morrison if there's a story out there that you want to read but you haven't but it's not available make it yourself you don't really need a reason to want to be diverse it's not about giving a charity it's about again doing something it's it just you know it's about just doing it why not be diverse why not give opportunities to people who don't usually get them why keep throwing the same scraps scraps to the fat cats who were who are already overweight and are taking the food for everyone else and that's that's my spiel <laughs> let me drink some water that's my spiel on the whole incident mm. I think this is a wonderful play. Um, speaking as a person from theater, I think you're in the stream, the light motifs, all this stuff is masterful. Some of the stuff shouldn't work, but it really does. And it gets me every time. And, you know, to me, you know, I'm calling my feel different and that's fine, but I'm giving this a, uh, to me, I, what's your highest rating on here, um, Carlin? On what? Your like- the, like the movie itself like what do i rate it no no your reviews like in general like what's the highest score you usually you can give like the on a one to ten rating like do you yeah, yeah. one to, on a one to ten scale of how to how to rate this movie oh no oh no i was just asking about like how high your rating scale goes like you know for your, any in the movie you do because to me hamilton like i said i'm just giving my rating i think it's a 10 i think not only is the acting there not only are the motifs there not only do you it introduced no melody goes unused here and in broadway that's hard to do it's almost like a building block of the nation itself quote unquote each song comes together to form the symphony of this tragic of this tragic dickhead hamilton who never realized what he had and to this day hamilton's legacy is still contested by many different people um so to me you know i um i give this a 10 i i love this i recommend anybody you know give this a watch it's fine it may not be for you and i get that 
but I think this is really something special. Not something like this doesn't always doesn't come, you know, often, especially in Broadway. You have big shows that um, make it leave an impact. But Hamilton is one of those shows that we're still seeing the effects of today. Like Carling, and you're kind of a smaller channel. The fact that you have almost 50 people in a single video, you know, still commenting and giving their thoughts. Some of them are my friends. Others aren't. Mm-hmm. Kind of shows the power of this of this play. So I give it a 10 out of 10 for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite moment, I guess, because I didn't get this. I think my favorite moment was um, in the room where it happens, where we see Burr, you know, slowly go from you know this very cautious individual to being passionate about what he wants in life i really like that especially when he says but we dream in the dark for the most part he jumps that is my favorite line from the musical so that's my favorite line i already basically said what i appreciate about it and um so yeah that is my spiel that is my uh rating my Siliqui, whatever you want to call it. That is that is my passionate rant for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Carl, that is on to you. Uh, what do you you know? What are your thoughts? So first of all, there's no way anyone can give any piece of media a ten without being biased about that set media. Well, I just did. I, I mean, hey, like Carlin, <laughs> what one of my biggest thing was is that there is an exception to every rule, man. Not everybody functions under the same, you know, under the same pretenses. I just say personally for me, because I just this is just how I view it, and I'm looking at this because I wouldn't give like in the heights it's nine out of ten. I wouldn't give like uh, I don't give ten out of tens like talking about it. I usually go the highest I usually give is usually like an eight. And it goes down from there. But I'm like, man, thinking about everything, you know, how this works, just how much of a gamble this is, because it's easy to fuck this up. It really is. I've been in productions who can barely hold on to one motif and use it correctly. Um, I really do like it. And, you know, I really do appreciate it. I'm not trying to be biased. You know, I don't give this out like candy. And I'm certainly not going to pretend I'm certainly not going to pretend to be swayed and give it a five. Um, I think, you know, I guess because I'm thinking about it and I feel like, yeah, I really do like appreciate how they were able to pull this off. It's it's really hard just coming as a person from the culture. And also, has anybody given a 10 on your podcast before? Um, no, there's no way. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm like, no one's given a 10. Nobody has get out of all the films you review. No one's given a film a 10 before that I've reviewed. Yeah. Oh, you like, mean for the podcast or just films? Yeah. Like for the thing, the film, like the podcast, like you reviewed with people, like when you do those podcast reviews with other people, none of your guests have ever given anything a 10 before. Uh, I'm sure maybe they have but I'm sure they were still biased on that 10. (laughs) My thing is, is that, like I said, man, there's an exception to every rule. And Hey, if not, then I become the first, this makes my appearance even more special um, because I will be the first person to kind of pop that cherry metaphorically speaking. And um, I appreciate it. On top of that, you know, Carlin, just speaking in general, opinions in general are like kind of biased. That's kind of like the idea of an opinion. It's hard to, it's kind of hard. It's unless we're talking about the 
actual intent of something or like say a scientific fact or something that cannot be argued everything is going to be subjective in some in some shape or form of course every fact that is an, is an opinion if you want to look at it like, like that yeah so like that's my opinion you know that is my opinion that is my spiel and um that is a uh, that's fine i i kind of know how you feel already based on either that smart guy quote i might even watch smart right after this but um uh that's my opinion and i can kind of pass it on to you carlin um let's see um you gave it a one last time or at least in the um thing and I, a two in your review i did a two or one you gave it two different scores in your actual like written synopsis on what you reviewed it you gave it a oh one. that's right that's right yeah yeah i do i do yeah. i do rate them in that way yeah, yeah i always like to rate them as like number base and then just rate them yeah. as like analogies or or whatever have you yeah, so you gave it a one because in your actual written review, but it would Darby you gave it a two. And you know, you give the rating and what you appreciate about it and you know, hey, you know, this, you know, the conversation we had and then I guess we can close things off. And so, you know, go, you know, now the ball's in your court. I can use sports analogies too. Mm. Okay. I'm sure I'll probably fit in a sports analogy somewhere in here. Um so First things first, uh, obviously for the podcast, I find appreciation for these films that I absolutely had no care in watching. Oh, and yeah. after seeing Hamilton for a second time, um, especially seeing it with you, you definitely yeah. have uh, had me think about things a little bit differently or you put you shed things more in light, I, I, I would say. Oh yeah, that yeah yeah man, that just a, a little, just add a little bit of color and it makes a difference. <laughs> right, right, right. And then of course there are certain things about Hamilton and just about theater that I would just have to take your word for because I'm just not into that world. Yeah. And I think this, I don't think Hamilton. I feel that I like musicals and maybe just not Broadway musicals. Uh, well, you know, I think, I think, like I said, based on what you say, you know, I think, I think if anything, Carlin, maybe you just like jukebox musicals where it's based off of pre-existing music and it's just set to a story rather than original, actual Broadway musicals. I'm, I, if, if that's only me guessing though. Mm. Maybe. I mean, I, there's still a lot of musicals I like, though. I mean, every Disney movie back in the day was like a musical. And I well, yeah, still well, listen well, to those soundtracks. Well, yeah, but that's my thing. Those are like, uh, those are based in the, or somewhat Broadway thing. But some of those, like The Lion King, you know, stuff like The Lion King, those are those are not really show tunes. Those are just straight up African songs and R&B songs. They're not like mm -hmm. an amalgamation of multiple different things. So like, those are just pure, authentic songs of whatever genre they're a part of they're not necessarily show tunes mm. right 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 mm -hmm. <clears throat> um so yeah i i think you know it's funny after this i think i'm gonna listen to the last starfighter musical <laughs> and yeah, see what man. else i can pull from it but as far as hamilton 
I know originally I gave it like a one or two. Mm-hmm. If I have to rate it again now, I mean, it might still be the same. I still, I had, I think I told myself literally right before it ended, I was like, I would, I would rather watch YouTube ads for two hours and 40 minutes <laughs> to, than to rewatch another scene of Hamilton. Because I don't know what it, maybe it is just from like what you said, theatrical actors, they're supposed to be over the top. They're supposed to do this and do that because that's what it calls for. And it yeah, won't and look the same anywhere else, but on stage. And yeah, I, cause let me, yeah. Cause if this was a musical Hamilton, if this was a film, this entire thing would have to be changed. This would be a completely different production. You can't do number one. It you can't be this minimalistic in a movie. The setting has to be there. Well, you know that of obviously. Course. So like, I don't know. Like, although this is this is another reason why In the Heights didn't work for me when I watched it, because that movie just really doesn't translate well to film. And I'm sure probably the play was a lot better. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's the thing, though. I think because I think, Carlin, I don't know if you would really like Golden Age Hollywood musicals, though, because they're basically like this. And that's what I was. I watched Golden Age Hollywood musicals. (laughs) Well, what's your favorite one? You you seen like what's your favorite Golden Age Hollywood musical? Ah, uh, it's hard to name them. I mean, I, anything with uh, June Allison, I used to just watch that, like on the TMC TMC channel. And um, of course, obviously, Wizard of Oz is cool. Um, I just I just like the characters in that one. But I watch those musicals and not get bored of them. But for some reason I watch Hamilton and maybe it is because of, of um, me being distracted by, I guess the fast rapping and all that stuff, because I'm not used to seeing that it completely mm-hmm. just throws me off. And I, and immediately I think of, well, that's not what hip hop is what they're trying to do. And in a sense, they're not trying to necessarily be that way, but it's yeah, just well, how I'm I, perceiving it. Well, again, I think, again, it does go back. You are a film guy and your thing is, hey, if you're going to make a film, make a film, you know, try to think how this works into the film medium. And I think your issue with some films is that they are trying to replicate the Broadway version, the Broadway stage play too much, even though it's a completely different medium. And again, the the same issues that some actual actors have with theater actors whenever they try to do movies. And um, I think because, you know, from what you're saying, I think that is your issue here. Your issue here is the Broadway stage performance style compared to, because like I said, Carlin, I do think most of your original con- you know, critiques of Hamilton are backhanded critiques of Broadway because this is just how it is. Like I something agree. like Les, yeah, like Lay Miz. Lay Miz is like this. It's sung all the way through. And again, it's not for everybody. I will fully admit that it is an acquired taste. But my only rebuttal against that is just that like let's not try to code things to be white or black. Because when we do that, we're erasing all of the black people who have made this medium what it is and who are still basically doing that. That oh, was not that was basically my thing. And I know you probably didn't mean to say that, but like that was the unfortunate implication that came across with that. And I think, and that's fine. Hamilton is sung all the way through. I think maybe if this was a straight up film, 
you know, where there was spoke. Because if this was a film, half of these songs would probably be cut and would just be act, just dialogue between the characters. Yeah. Um, it, it, would, it would not work. Um, or maybe if it was animated. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree I with you on that. This can, this, this Hamilton production animated. can um, really only exist on stage. And if not that, just on a soundtrack somewhere. That's the thing, you know, so I think that's my thing. Uh, but as you were saying, you know, I'm glad that I was able to maybe, you know, because, you know, like I said, I wasn't trying to make you a stand of this. I was just trying to give my own perspective. But I'm glad that, you know, my words kind of maybe gave you a new perspective that you didn't have initially from your talk with Darby. Right. Yeah. And I was actually just texting Darby a little while ago about it. <laughs> oh, what'd you tell her? I was like, this second act is just, it's it's rough. <laughs> and then she she literally responds back with, uh, uh, she's like, but what about Philip? I was like, who? And she's like, okay, clearly you don't care. <laughs> um, Carlin, you should have fired back. I, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm like, you could have fired back. I said, what? I, the, the, <laughs> I I see. I think she clearly clearly cares about this play. But I really did feel like she was just trying to kind of appease you with that score that she initially gave. Mm. Um, but like I said, you know, Philip, you know, go ahead and speak your peach. Uh, you know, what is I guess what you gave it a one and a two last time. So what would your score be this time if it's changed at all? I mean, listen, I can appreciate. The lighting, the acting, the acting is awesome. I think these actors mm. are very talented. I think mm. they 100% deserve their their careers of what happened after Hamilton, how it branched off to a lot of different mediums for them, of them showcasing their talents. Mm. Um, again, whoever built this entire stage is incredible. The way it spins, the way it moves, how people are able to just seamlessly just flow through it. Um, yeah, it's like a turntable. Yeah, I, I think all of that is awesome. I just, I still just cannot get down with the content in itself. Yeah, and like I said, you know, I don't think this is like a race thing. I just think it's that, it's again, the Broadway aesthetic that I think seems to be your big issue because it's a reoccurring thing that comes up in most of the videos and in our conversations. And that's cool. There is nothing wrong with that. But it's just that my only issue was just that the fallacies that you were using were not only monolithic, but also kind of disingenuous because it kind of, you know, whitewashes the black people or people of color in general who have made this medium what it is and who are still working their asses off to kind of carve out a niche for themselves on stage. But like, that's fine. You know, that's fine to not be a fan of because I get it. Show tunes are an amalgamation of various different things where you're like, I'm, you seem to be in the camp of, look, pick, take something and pick it, pick something and stick with it sort of thing. Mm. And, that's, and that's fine. But, um, right. And I think that's why I was, I, I said earlier that this whole entire play reminds me of a, of a bad logic album. If anyone listens to Logic, he's obviously he's a, a rapper, but I think Logic is one of the most talented rappers ever. So talented that I get mad whenever he sounds like something else or pretends to be something else. 
which is what he often does. And it's kind of why or it is what I see in this Hamilton play. Just a lot of references, a lot of um, influences, but not really. And and who am I to say this? Right. But not really being itself, or at least that's just how I perceive it to be. Well, and, and that's the thing. Well, here's my thing. You know, Hamilton is most certainly itself because, again, it is Broadway. Right. The thing the, the thing is, is that as you kind of came to the assertion, Hamilton is not trying to basically because, look, if Hamilton wanted to be a it is a hearing to the show tune style. Hamilton is not just rap. It's these rap mixed in with all these other genres. If Hamilton wanted to be straight up hip hop, it would have been a jukebox musical and it would it would it would have been rough. At least in mm. my opinion, it would have been because jukebox musicals just straight up riff songs and do that. My thing is, is that even without the references, even if I want to point them out to me, the songs still work because they serve the story and the narrative. The references don't have to mean fuck all to you. The story still works in the context of the story. And I think that's what works. It's kind of like, and I compare this to who framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Who framed Roger Rabbit has cartoons, you know, from all different eras of the golden age. But those, it's not, it's not just using these rat, these, these references to like, Hey, look, there's Bugs Bunny. Hey, look, there's Droopy. Hey, look, there's Daffy and Donald Duck. Hey, look, there's Betty Boop. Yeah, that's nice, but it's using them to build its own narrative. It's not just there as a crux. You don't have to catch them. It's just an Easter egg if you do. And to me, it kind of amplifies what the meaning of the characters are saying. You don't have to catch this or know who wrote this or anything. The, it still works within the context of it's still about Hamilton, the people he knew and how they kind of like affect them. It's very much a show tune. It's very much Broadway. And there are tons of Broadway references and nods to this. And I think it's not trying to kind of be the, Hey guys, this is our take on say L O or this is our take on all this stuff. It may use this stuff as influence because it's partially created by these people or, mm-hmm. you know, influenced. It's very much its own thing. It is very much Broadway. You know, Lin-Manuel has been very upfront about that. You know, it is, it is very much theater and it kind of like, it wears that on its sleeve, which is why it, and that's fine. When you are just authentically, I think the best way to describe Hamilton is that it is earnestly itself. And for some people, that is too much. And hell, for some people, if you were too earnest enough, that's damn near cringe. Mm -hmm. But it is not trying to be that. You know, it's not trying to be something it's not. It's very much a musical. Like, and it is bathing and like it is basically wrapped in layers and layers of Broadway history. And it's representing them proudly. We're, you know, be it all, you know, fuck all what people think, but, uh, ontologic, I didn't know he was your favorite rapper of all time. Oh, he's definitely not, but I'm just saying he's a very talented rapper. He's too talented to be sounding like everyone else. Yeah. But, oh, that's interesting. But like, that's what it is, you know? Um, but like, yeah. So, I guess is your score still the same as it was last time? Um, it would have to be, but I would say I can appreciate this a lot more now. All right. Um, I guess you don't have to point to a specific thing, but what do you appreciate about it or that you didn't appreciate about it before, you know, we did this? 
I would probably say maybe just the the whole breakdown you did of just because um, obviously before bef- bef- the first time I watched it, I didn't really have a, a good sense of different types of musicals yeah. in Broadway. And and uh, and now that you told me that there's definitely more than one. <laughs> yeah, there are tons, man. Yeah, yeah. It makes me believe now that Hamilton is, you know, obviously, yeah, it's a musical, but. Or shit, I don't know. Uh, I don't I honestly don't know, but I do appreciate it more after just how much history you've told me. Again, I have to just take your word for it. Oh, yeah. I'm, hey, man, I'm not trying to pull your leg. Yeah. Of how much history it does break down of not only just within the story historical, which I couldn't care less about, but I can still appreciate that they're still, still trying to educate people, but also the history of just Broadway of from its music, all its done for jazz and from jazz to hip hop and then from hip hop to pop and taking so many writers from, uh, from the hip hop community to collaborate on it. I can appreciate all that to create a, a, a final product that people can say that they're proud of. Mm-hmm. But um, I can appreciate that, but still somewhere in my heart, I still can't get down with this. I mean, Carlin, that's the thing. That's fine. But like I said, I really do think, you know, based on everything we've talked about, I just think you are just not a fan of Broadway, you know, as a medium, as for what it is and what you feel, even if that may not be true, it may not be correct or what you feel it kind of represents. Because like it got to a point in our DMs, everybody, where we were basically because Carlin, I didn't bring this up. In the, when we were in the heights, you guys can see it earlier before Carlin basically asked me, you know, what's the point of, you know, theater slash Broadway still even being a thing. And I didn't really give him a question, an answer on that. But my point is, is that musical theater and Broadway is kind of a built a foundation of American media, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Because before before radio, before, um, you know, before radio, before all the popular genres you could think of, people went out to go to vaudeville. Vaudeville, you know, people would perform comedy hours and sing songs, usually operatic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that is where it's so even though I'm going to admit show tunes, musical films are not going to be making don't make millions of dollars the way that they used to. They're not out doing superhero films, but in the day, back in the day, and Hamilton kind of is reminiscent of that. Um, it is a representation of kind of the current musical vernacular, and it represents very much, um, kind of like like I said, it, it very much represents what the culture is. You know what is going on right now, and um, again, like I said, it's perfectly fine not to like this or to be down with it. But all I was doing is kind of argue, coming up to bat for it as a person of color, seeing the effects it's had, and kind of just letting Carlin know that I he's not the biggest fan of Broadway musicals. Because like I said, I get maybe liking two musicals, but I also feel like that's like me going to Taco, not Taco, going to Jack in the Box and 
you know, eating their taco pack and saying that I like Mexican food, but I've only ever had tacos from Jack in the Box and never anything from like an actual like Mexican restaurant. I think that's what that's almost like. And again, that's fine. I have people who hate musical theater. My friend Willie hates theater. He clowned in the heights when he showed it to his other friends. Um, but I think that just seems to be like your big issue is that you can't get down with the Broadway structure because I can't get down with the Broadway structure and it just, well, maybe it's just the Broadway structure. Cause I was going to say the Broadway structure and just how everything is just presented. Which the is, rap- the Broadway st- which is yeah, the Broadway yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah. Cause you kind of felt the same way about Encanto, the music that wasn't it. Yeah. But Encanto, Encanto is a, is a, the def the pure definition of a mediocre ass animated movie. But just because uh, I would say uh, Encanto represents the uh, the Colombian community in a light that literally no one has ever seen before, I will always support that movie. And you know, I really like it. But you know, there are people who don't. I had I, I got I had a I had a semi debate with somebody who did not really who felt a certain kind of way about the messaging. But like I said, I think the more I look at it, Carlin, I just feel like I'm able to articulate kind of your issues with um, this musical, you know, a little better than you can be able to pronounce them because I, I've talked mm-hmm. to people. Oh, definitely. You have definitely done that 100%. Yeah, again, I understand where you're coming from and I do feel like, you know, but my thing is, is that I under, I've also talked to people again about, well, the subject matter as well. Um, and the idea is, is that my point is, is that, mm. you know, about the subject matter, cause I also feel like that's what you're inching towards, but you're not really able to s- articulate it. But you know what, I, you know what, now that I think about it, everything about Hamilton, the way it was just throwing itself at me mm. is the reason why I ejected. It's not only just the music, the rap and stuff like that, but also the American history the uh well I, I think it's just that the music how it's presented and in american history everything that i feel that as a black american in his 20s is kind of just like what i'm not trying to hear right now or at least well, not from this media well i mean that's fine but i guess this kind of i i bought this up to a friend as well my thing is, is that number one, you know, the question is why this, why that? This is, like I said, it is a rebuttal against traditional norms. And on top of that, when you do, when when you have these actors playing these people, what they say takes on an entirely different meaning. For example, you have Burr and Hamilton. Hamilton, the way he acts is the way, say, a modern BLM activist would act. And I know because, boy... Have I have friends who are like that, and we have uh, we have butted heads a few times just based on how they act. He is very loud. He's very nah. Screw this. I'm doing this. You know what? The system sucks. This, 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 and that. And Burr is basically all about respectability politics, which people do not care for. And the way that this is presented, you know, the way that these characters are, and the you know the people who are playing them, everything that they says that they say 
plays with that lyricism, lyricism, and it takes on a completely different meaning. But as I told my friend, do you know who Phil Lamar is? No. Or do you watch Futurama? Yes. Or have you seen it? Okay, so have you seen Samurai Jack? Yes. Okay. Um, obviously, you see, have you seen the Justice League? The cartoon, Absolutely. the original. Okay, well, he's the voice of the Green Lantern. He's the voice of Static Shock. He's the voice of Samurai Jack. Yeah, he's a legendary voice actor. Yes, um, and Zeno Robson. I know you don't know who he is, but he is an up-and-coming voice actor. He is. Um, he's played a lot of anime characters. He's a dub voice actor. My thing is, is that most importantly, is that what Hamilton ultimately says, the theme of Hamilton is legacy. And what Hamilton never understands is that he tries to rise up and basically tries to make, you know, make people see him a certain kind of way. He tries to override himself. It's like, dude, you can't overwrite yourself. You're trying to make yourself seem that like you're this great guy when you're really not. And you're fucking over all these people. And by the time it's all said and done, Hamilton's legacy is a mess. Even to this day, who Hamilton is is hotly debated. And that's just because people see choose to see you how they want. If I line up 10 different people to ask them to describe me, I guarantee you, Carlin, I would get 10 different answers. That's just how people are. Right, of course. And my thing is with Hamilton, and I understand where this is coming from, but my thing is, is that what matters is that Hamilton isn't saying how great these people are. They're very flawed. Hamilton basically spends the entire play putting people before himself and never learning his lesson until he's about to die. You know, Berg fucks up. You know, um, Berg ends up fucking up and killing his best friend over nothing. And Jefferson and, and uh, Madison are these bigoted elites who act like the people that are in the quiet house to this day, acting like they care, but go out of their way to kind of oppress people. It's not saying that these guys are valid or stuff like that. It's very much, you know, who they are and the way that these characters are changes depending on who plays them. But going back to Phil Lamar, you know, and Zeno Robinson, my point is, and what I was I taught a good conversation with my friend about this lat a couple of years ago, is that these guys are most importantly actors. Yes, the people that they played, you know, yes, the people that they played may not match their ethnicity. But like I said, that doesn't take away how great the acting is. It doesn't take away how great the performances are. The performances are still their own. Like, just like not being able to see Zeno Robinson, and even if he mostly plays quote-unquote Asian characters more than he does people that match his own ethnicity, and even though you can't see him, it doesn't somehow mean that, like, again, that you that he somehow invalidated culturally because of that. And I understand that, but that's kind of what I told my friend and how I feel. Captain Hook is a white guy. You know, like I told you yesterday, Captain Hook is white, 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 and so is John Darling. But I don't think that that somehow like invalidates me or the performances that I've given or maybe the representation that I've given the people who can see people who look like me on stage performing and showing, hey, you know what? I can do that, too. And just like the play says, tomorrow there'll be more of us. Tomorrow someone might get influenced. But you know what? I really like that that Desdar guy who was Captain Hook or, hey, I really like that Desdar guy who was um who played uh, such and such and they go and they, they, they might become inspired to go and do something like, you know, make their 
own thing or be or try to become an actor in this or that or like they see phil lamar and they say hey maybe i can be like him because i never knew that a black guy i never knew that was an option for people like me and that's personally like the way i see it and the way that i choose you know that's the way i view it i don't think it invalidates you know either the messaging or that these people are saying or somehow kind of take away from the representation of it all and i understand being as a person on the outside looking in you may not be able to see that and that's perfectly fine but it is it goes a very long way and i'm sure you know that seeing people that look like you you know do stuff you know it can it can inspire you it kind of ignites a, a fire in your heart mm-hmm. and uh that's how i feel you know on that okay so i can see i understand what you're saying about every character on hamilton kind of represents mm-hmm. a different american well not exactly you know it's more so like the idea of hamilton specifically is that they represent these core themes you know and initially when hamilton came out you know there was a sentiment it probably does i get i don't know how far this exists to this day about who or what you know america you know what americans can look like or who you know how only white people it's 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 again the coding thing that you were kind of unintentionally doing in your first review people were doing that but it was mainly white people saying oh you know only this is a white thing or this is you know this or that hamilton was a complete rebuttal against all of that by saying no like fuck it i may not care about the united states you know i'm not even there but the thing is is that just because you look a certain way doesn't somehow invalidate your cultural identity and each of these characters of course of course you know and that's the point and as we move away from that maybe that gets lost but just because it's harder to see in hindsight because of how popular this thing has gotten that doesn't somehow take away from that doesn't somehow like make it invisible or somehow whitewash it you know and I can understand America is awful. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you otherwise. But what I'm saying is that, you know, this play is more than just that. And when you look at how these characters are presented, if Hamilton was founder chic, basically the entire meth, the entire premise of this show, no one would really have any flaws, be presented as problematic. And it would basically be like, we did this for the greater good. But it's like, no, you did this for yourself. What the fuck? You did this because you wanted, because of your own ego, because of the power you could get from it. Because that's what Hamilton did. He basically tried to status seek. Despite having all this power, he wanted more, but ended up losing it all because he, you know, he couldn't get enough. His pride wouldn't let him stop. And it ended up killing him, ended up killing his son, and it ended up fucking up his life. And the issue is that the power is the issue you're obsessing with power did this to you this is why you all ended up like this in the first place and you tried to build yourself up as these fucking monuments and now look at you you no one not no one's gonna view you as these heroes people will view you however the hell they want exactly yep 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 so again i can i can understand or at least i can understand half of what you're saying about the characters but i still can't get past that or at least for my first viewing i could never get past that just because of how the entire production is presented 
which yeah it goes with the whole broadway aesthetic it is like i said you know and i think that's what it mainly does go back to because of the way broadway and stage shows are presented they are very pomp they are very bombastic and animated and all in your face and very toothy and that's fine that's not for everybody i think you know you're valid in feeling that way carlin like I said, I was never trying to get you to become the biggest Hamilton stand in Georgia, but just giving a different perspective. Oh, yeah, of course. You've definitely given me a, a, a way different perspective, and I'm going to explore it a lot more with maybe maybe reading a few articles. And I told my I told my brother to watch like the first 10, 15 minutes of it so I can get his take on it. Well, you know, hey, I'm always around. I have some uh, I have some very if I have some very good video essays that talk about Hamilton. I have in a very nuanced way. I have some from my friend Howard Ho which talks about the structure, but I also have a black friend who um whose video essay he made too. They are positive but they're very 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 nuanced. He's a very left-leaning black guy if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. Um, who talks about certain aspects that I feel like you want to articulate, but you aren't really like finding a way to put your stuff into words that I can link you, you know, event afterwards, if you were interested in that. And no, it's not talking about the musical. It's him giving his thoughts on what he saw, mm-hmm. you know, the reception to it. And also what he feels like it means for the culture. And he also talks about Lin-Manuel a bit and what how he feels, you know, about Lin, you know, in that. This is my black, the black friend. Um, so, like, maybe those could maybe help you put though your feelings into perspective. Because I feel like that you, you kind of are, I feel like you're kind of in the same kind of camp as him. It, it feels like. Again, I just feel like I'm able to articulate kind of your critiques or what you're trying to say, like a bit better than maybe how you're able able to put them in the words like currently. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Most definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I think you said it all for me. <laughs> huh? Uh, yeah, I guess we're quite a team. I did not expect to get this passionate, but it was pretty, I thought I I'm glad. I think that this was really good. If you want me to link you those videos, I can. Um, after this is all said and done. Yeah, go for it. Um, so do you want the my black friend first or like Howard Ho? Because granted, Howard Ho has multiple videos on this. Or it d- depends on which one you want to see first. Uh, it doesn't matter. You just send them all and I'll get to it when, whenever I can. All right. Sure. So I guess well, this was pretty good. Um, I'll be doing this right now. Uh, but yeah, guys, Um, I guys, I had a blast. Um, I thought that this was a really nice conversation. We talked about some pretty heavy stuff, but I guess, you know, heavy stuff comes with being black, you know? Mm. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I had a blast, you know, Carlin, I hope maybe sometime in the future we can do another non, maybe a non-musical film. Mm. Absolutely. We can, uh, and then, then next time we'll have Darby. Well, Darby would definitely join. Yeah, maybe we can do blind blind spotting the V Diggs films about uh, <laughs> racism. We can one hundred percent do that because I have no interest to watch that film. <laughs> um, yeah, it is really good. Um, so, but yeah, but that's is that is you know that's me. Uh, that is uh, 
oh my goodness <laughs> that i just sent i hope i saw i sent i sent the right thing but yeah, yeah um that is me um oh no that's wrong but yeah that is guys this has been desdar it has been a blast being on here with carlin uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad that I was able to kind of give you a different perspective, you know, as a person of color, you know, who had a black person who has been a huge theater kid and performer for the past like several years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for coming on here. And uh, Starfighters, this has been another podcast. I mean, I am 100% open for anybody to 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 comment below and to come on this podcast uh i think maybe i'll just save it for like specialty episodes so where i can rewatch movies that maybe people disagreed yeah with I how i felt about it or just watch yeah or just watch movies that maybe you guys have never been interested to watch and i can give you a platform to do so so either or it would be great uh, thank you again uh Desdar for coming on here. Oh no, my pleasure, man. It was great. Yeah, and uh, a big shout out to Darby because I know she's going to be listening. <laughs> oh hey, Darby. And, um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to Darby, and I will see you guys on the next one. But until then, victory or death, Starfighters. <laughs>